Good morning, Cedar Creek Church Banks Mill, and a special greeting to those who are listening on the Ridge and the West Campus, or maybe you're on our website listening via the internet. It is a real honor and privilege for me to be here with you this morning and have this very special opportunity to share God's Word with you. I recently finished six months as preaching pastor, teaching pastor at Willow Ridge Church in Lexington, and it's been a real joy to preach again. I I thought, I I really did, that God had closed that door, and uh, then he opened it uh, at Willow Ridge, and now here with you this morning, and it's a, a tremendous privilege to be with you. Now, I'm just going to have to confess, maybe you've made the connection, maybe you haven't, but Willow Ridge Church is where Bo Bradbury, our former campus pastor, is now serving as their senior pastor. And I'm sorry for us, Philip, I really am, but I'm so excited for Bo that he gets to live out God's calling in his life. He has a deep calling to, uh, to preach, and I'm so excited that they're going into the future, that church, with his visionary leadership. And I know he's excited about preaching, just as I'm excited this morning to to get into God's Word. So let's get there. You know, if I were to ask you, what's the most important holiday for the Christian? You would say Easter, and you would be right, because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. The second most important holiday is Christmas, because that's when Jesus was born. The third most important holiday for the Christian, some of you would have a hard time naming it, Pentecost. Pentecost. Pentecost in Greek means the 50th day after Easter. You know what happened the 50th day after Easter? The church was born. Pentecost is the birth of the Christian church. Now, why is that important? Because the church is the only thing that's going to last for eternity. Nothing else on this planet or in this universe is going to last for eternity. The Bible tells us that one day God's going to start all over with a new heaven and a new earth, and the only thing that's going to continue on from this one is God's family. You know who that is? That's you and me, people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The church is the only thing that is going to last forever. Now, understand this. No local church lasts forever. None of the churches that you read about in God's Word exist today because the church is like human beings, like bodies. The church is an organism. They're born, they grow, they develop, they mature, they reproduce, and then they die. But some churches have a premature death. I'll always remember, years ago I was pastoring in Denver, Colorado, and a church in the Denver metropolitan area, they purchased about 20-plus acres of prime real estate on one of the busiest intersections of the entire Denver area. And they started their building project, and they they finished up with all of their site work. They put in the foundation. They poured the, the slab just like you're sitting on a concrete slab here this morning. And then the steel was delivered to the construction site. And that church sat there on that construction site week after week, month after month, literally year after year. It was some four or five years that that steel just sat there. And it so saddened my heart. I'd go by that intersection almost every day as I went about the 
the community. And it would just sadden me. Here was a church that, that had big dreams. God had spoke a vision into their hearts, and, and something happened. I don't know what happened. I never found out what happened, but it was a sad, uh, just a, a sad testimony. You know, every once in a while, something else that's very sad for me to see is every once in a while, I'll see an old church building that is now being used as an antique parlor. And I'm telling you, it, it just gets to to my heart. What causes a church to die? They stop doing the things that God created the church to do. What keeps the church alive and vital and vibrant and exciting? The blessing of God. The blessing of God. When God blesses a church, it continues to thrive. People's lives are changed. People are put back together. People are pulled out from the bondage of drugs and addiction. Marriages are saved. All kinds of miracles happen. People's lives are dramatically changed when a church is being blessed by God. Now, neither you nor I want to be a part of a dead church. Would you agree with that? Anybody saying amen to that? I certainly don't. Philip, you want to? No. Nobody. You don't want to. I don't, you don't want to be a part of a dead church. I've had one consistent prayer that I've prayed over and over and over for Cedar Creek Church since I retired five years ago, and that is that God would continue to bless His church. That God would continue to bless Cedar Creek Church and we would remain vital and vibrant and, and, and exciting. You know, I believe with all of my heart, I really do, that our best days as a church are ahead of us. And if you've heard me say that one time over the last 20 years, you've heard me say it a thousand times. And Philip echoes that, that same sentiment because we believe it. We believe it as, as, as God is working in the life of this church. We believe that our best days are ahead of us. And, and that, that belief, that confidence is founded on God's Word. First and more, foremost, it's founded on the promise of Jesus. Jesus said, I will build my church. There it is. There's the promise. It's going to happen. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And God's doing a work. He's doing a work in this church. He's doing a work in this community through this church as he continues to bless this church. And my confidence, my confidence that our best days lie ahead of us, also is founded in the fact that we have a pastor who has a passion for God and who has a deep love for God's people. And he preaches the word with conviction, correctly handling the word of truth as the Bible talks about. I don't know. I, I, I certainly hope. I think you do. I believe I do know. But I hope you understand how blessed you are to have a pastor who preaches with excellence week after week. That every week that he steps behind this pulpit, this altar, because that is what this is. This is a sacred trust. And when he steps behind this pulpit, he honors God by sharing the truth of God's Word. And he blesses us with excellent messages week after week after week. Thank you, Philip. We love you. God bless you. Another reason I have confidence that our best days lie ahead of us is because we have a staff here at Cedar Creek Church from top to bottom, who have a passion for fulfilling the calling that God's placed on their life in their particular area of ministry. We also 
are filled up with a church that understands that God calls every Christian. In fact, it's synonymous with God's calling in your life. He calls every Christian to be a minister. Now, I'm going to talk about that more in just a moment. So let me leave that right there for just a moment. You know, I'm so excited about the newest person. I think Paul's the newest person on the staff in Cedar Creek. He's our worship leader. I mean, I thought he was going to rapture this morning. I'm, I mean, I really did. I'm so excited because here's somebody that also has a passion for God. He has a deep desire to teach us, really to remind us. Because you've been, we've been taught over and over, I have, you have, what worship is all about, what authentic biblical worship is all about. It's not about you. It's not about what you like and what I like or what I don't like and what you don't like, what song we sing or what song we don't sing. It's not about your opinion. It's not about my opinion. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Holy Spirit. It's all about the Holy Spirit leading us to do what the Scripture tells us to do, and that is to focus, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Don't let them stray to the right or to the left. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Thank you, Paul and family, for being obedient to God and following his call to Cedar Creek Church. I believe, I truly believe, after getting to know this young man and Christy, in their family, that God has called Paul to be a prophetic voice calling us back to authentic biblical worship. Now listen, I believe with all my heart that Cedar Creek Church is being blessed because of God's blessing on this church. So here's the question. How do we keep God's blessing? That's the question. To keep God's blessing, we, we have to continue doing the things that God told the church to do. And in Acts chapter 2, we find six things, six things that God says that you must do if you want God's blessing on your church. It boils right on down to you. Do you want God's blessing for your church? Acts chapter 2 tells us six things. So let's get right into it this morning. The first thing that we must do as a New Testament church is we must pray for God's power. My friends, that's the starting point. The presence of God's power makes the church different from every other organization or group. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. God has given the Holy Spirit to His church. Microsoft doesn't have the Holy Spirit to do its work. Dell or General Electric or General Motors or, or Apple and all the other Fortune 500 companies don't have God's Holy Spirit. No government has the Holy Spirit. Only the church gets the Holy Spirit. And He gives us the power to do things that we can't do on our own. He gives us His power. And how do we get God's power? This is a very important question for you to ask because you need God's power in your life. You need God's power to live every day. You need God's power to change the things that you can't change. And in your life and in the life of the church, you need God's power in every area of your life. So how do we get God's power? How do we get God's power? Well, it's not rocket science. <laughs> you get it one way. Prayer. Prayer. You pray, 
and you get power. There's a direct connection between prayer and power. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. You know, I don't have to know all the details of your life. But if you tell me how much time you spend talking to God every day, I'll tell you how much power you have in your life. Because if you don't talk to God every day, you have no power in your life. Zero, zip, nada. Because the power only comes as we are connected to God. Now let me give you the background real quickly to Pentecost. Jesus Christ was crucified, he died on the cross, he was resurrected, and then he walked around on the earth for another 40 days. And then he said, he told his disciples, I want you to wait. You know, Philip had a phenomenal message on how God is working when we wait, but that's a hard thing to do. And he reminded them several times, all I want you to do is I want you to wait until I send my spirit. I'm going to go back to heaven, and I just want you to wait and pray until I send my spirit to live in you. And that's going to be the birth of the church. And the Bible tells us that they had about 120 followers. He had them gathered in a room. They didn't have any idea how long they were going to have to wait and pray. But they waited, and they prayed, and they waited, and they prayed, and they waited, and they prayed. It took 10 days, 10 days. Days And on the 50th day after the resurrection, Pentecost, God sent his spirit. Jesus had told them, don't try to do anything with your life until I give you the power to do it. Boy, that's a, that's a good order for us to hear, isn't it? Don't try to do anything with your life until God gives you the power to do it. And how do you get that power? You get it through prayer. He said, don't go out and try to do anything on your own because you'll just fail, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So that's what they did. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They continually met together to pray as a group with one purpose in mind. In other words, they were all praying for one purpose. And all they did was wait and pray. And then on the 10th day, God sends His Spirit and power comes when the Spirit of God arrives on earth. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, everyone, get this, everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miracles and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now, the power to do these things, where did that power come from? Only one way, through prayer and God's power. So church... God is calling us as a church to ramp up the prayer, to ramp up the prayer. I, I want to call on our prayer team to, to lead us in this, to, to ramp up the prayer so we can have God's power in our lives and in the life of this church to accomplish the vision that God has given us for our particular church. We have a wonderful prayer team. You know what I love about them most. They, they do a phenomenal job on Sunday mornings. They're committed. They're dedicated to do that, to pray with you, to come alongside of you, to encourage you by praying. But you know, they do so much more during the week behind the scenes that you never see because they're always praying for the needs of the church. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask our home groups to ramp up the prayer, to have a concentrated season of prayer so that we might experience God's power anew, because that's the church that God blesses. Number two, 
If we want God's blessing on Cedar Creek Church, we must pray for power, God's power. But number two, we must use everybody's language. We must use everybody's language. Now, I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And then I think I'm going to need to explain to you what I mean by that. We need to use everybody's language. And I also want you to see your role in this. But first, from Acts 2, verses 5 through 8. There were religious Jews staying in Jerusalem who had come from every country in the world. When they heard this noise, a large crowd gathered. They were all excited because all of them heard the believers, get this, heard the believers talking in their own languages. In amazement and wonder, they exclaimed, these people who are talking like this are Galileans. How is it then that all of us hear them speaking in our own native languages. Now, the point is this. We must use everybody's language to get the good news out. The number one priority, the number one job of the church is to share the good news with people who haven't heard it yet in every way possible and in every language possible. So here's what happened. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. They all began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave each of them to p- the power to express themselves. It was, it was a gift of the Spirit that enabled them to be able to do this. Now, folks, you need to understand this is different than the gift of tongues. This is different than that. These are actual languages. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it talks about the gift of speaking in tongues, which is an ecstatic prayer language. And it says that the purpose of tongues is for personal growth. This isn't for personal growth here. This is a miracle that God allowed them so that they could speak in German and French and Swahili and whatever language, other languages that were represented in the crowd that day so that everybody could hear the good news in their own language. It wasn't for personal growth. It was for missions. Now, what does this have to do with you in Cedar Creek Church? Two important truths. One... God put you in this church. I hope you understand this. You're not here by by happen chance. You didn't just happen to stumble upon Cedar Creek Church. You are here because God put you specifically here at Cedar Creek Church to reach people that only you can reach. I can't reach them. The person sitting next to you can't reach them. But God has somebody that He wants in heaven that only you can reach that that I can't reach. So God put you in this church specifically to use you. And two, you speak more languages than you realize. You do. You know, I speak English, sort of. I mess it up, especially when I'm preaching. I don't know when to use I or me or any of those things. But I, I, I speak English. But I also speak a little bit of Japanese and a little bit of French and, and a uh, little bit of Spanish. And I'm just going to astound you with my aptitude for foreign language this morning. I spent a whole year in Japan, one whole year, and I came away with three words. <laughs> Ohio kazamas konnichiwa kumbawa. You know what that means? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. One whole... Man, God has given me an aptitude for language. You know, I, I took French a whole year in high school. And the first semester, I worked real hard. I mean, I put the pedal to the metal. 
nose to the grindstone, and I worked hard, and I got a D. And I was so thankful to that D that I slacked off a little bit on the second semester, and I got an F. And I remember one word. One word. One year, whole year of French. La Bibliothèque. Anybody know what that means? Library. I didn't even know where the library was in my high school, and that's the only word I came away with. I've been on the mission field, short-term missions in, in Guatemala and two times in Bolivia, and I came away with one word. But it's an important word. If you had to learn just one word, it's a very, it, baño. I don't even say it right, do I? Where's the bathroom? It's an important word to remember. Listen, here's the point. You're saying, well, come on, Richard, get to the point. You speak dozens of languages, and you don't even realize it. For example, how many of you have been a mother of preschoolers? Can I see your hands? Oh, a bunch of you. Okay. You speak the language of moms. And other women who uh, have preschoolers, they get it. They know that lingo. And the rest of us, we don't know that language. But moms can talk to moms in ways that only moms can talk. Some of you are good at electronics and computers. You know, you're into IT and all things digital. And you speak geek. And the rest of us, we don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. You know? You know what I'm talking about? Here's what I'm saying. No matter what you do, that's a language. Some of you speak golf. You know, you play golf. You know how to speak golf. You know the lingo of golf. Some of you speak retirement like, like I do because I'm, I'm retired. Some of you are mechanics and you talk carburetors and headers. And I'm just going to be transparent with you this morning. I learned from the first service. You don't expose yourself. I'm being, I'm being transparent. And I know some, some, of, you, some of you men are, are really going to think less of me when I tell you this. But I'm going to be transparent. What in the world is a header? I'm, I, I don't know what a header is. I mean, I've always pretended like I did when I was in conversations. Oh, yeah, the header. Yeah, I got eight headers in my car. I don't know what a header is. Okay, some of you speak advanced math, and none of us understand you. Some of you are artists. Some of you are wonderful musicians. And musicians can speak sharps and flats and treble clefs and bass clefs and beats and bars and, and tempo. And the rest of us, we have no idea what you're talking about. Now, here's the point. You speak, you speak more languages than you realize. And every language that God has given you, guess what? He expects you to use that language for His glory and to reach people in many different ways. So what are you doing when you're speaking these languages? What are you doing? You're building a bridge of love between your hearts and theirs so that Jesus can walk across that's what you're doing. When you know how to speak those languages and you reach out to somebody and, and, and they're, they're willing to op- open up because they're interested in the same things that you're interested in, it's building a bridge. You don't have to be a great theologian. You don't have to know a whole lot of Bible. You just have to speak their language. So if they enjoy to go hunting and fishing, you speak hunting and fishing. If they're a biker, you know, you speak the language of being a biker. You just love them. 
That's what God's asking you to do. You just love them and you build a bridge of love and you invite them to church and watch what God is going to do. Just watch. He just wants to use you as the conduit to invite people. You know what it's called? It's called friendship evangelism. It's what we've put a priority on and an emphasis on at Cedar Creek Church from day one. People excited about what God's doing in their life through, through His church, and we can't help but share it with others and invite them. Hand out those balloons one by one by one. You know, people ask me all the time, they ask Philip too, how did Cedar Creek Church grow, especially a lot of church planters? They'll call us. Tell me the secret of the growth of Cedar Creek Church. How did it grow from five couples meeting in your living room to now over 3,000 people meeting on three different campuses? And you know what they're doing? They're, they're, they're hoping that we'll give them some secret formula so their church can grow like that. As well, there's no secret formula. It's called friendship evangelism, inviting people wherever you go, at work, in your neighborhood, in your family, just simply extending an invitation. You know what? People are just waiting. Lost people, unsaved people, unchurched people are just waiting for your invitation. I've had people tell me that over and over. How'd you finally come to church? Well, somebody finally invited me. That's all they're waiting for. Let me take a survey real quick before I move on. How many of you came to Cedar Creek Church for the first time at the invitation of a friend? That's what I thought. Well on the high side of 60-70%. You know, surveys show us that, that uh, uh, people who come to a church for the first time, some 75-95% to 95% of them come because somebody invited them. That's the church that God blesses. So you just keep on inviting and inviting and bring them with you and watch what God will do. If we want God's blessing, we have to use everybody's language. We have to pray for power. And then number three, and I told you I'd get back to this one, we must employ every member's talents. We must employ every member's talents. That means yours. In the first church, there were no spectators. One 100% participation. Every member, every member was a minister. Now, I didn't say that every member was a pastor because you're not, but every member is a minister. If somebody ever asks you, how many ministers do you have in your church? Tell them, oh, well over 3,000. That'll blow them away. Or at least that's God's heart for us. That if we're a part of this church, a part of the body, we need every part of that body doing what... God has equipped them to do to grow his church. Not just numerically, but with depth as well, spiritually. Every member, every member. There was no audience in the early church. Everybody was in the game. Everybody was a part of the army. Listen to this from Acts chapter 2. Then Peter stood up and said, these people are not drunk. You know, all these people from all over the world had gathered in Jerusalem. They see these people, they're hearing a mighty sound like a hurricane. That, that's the expression of what happened when the Holy Spirit was sent to live in their lives. They're seeing little flames like fire on people's heads. And these guys are talking in language that they shouldn't be able to speak to them in their language. Kind of, kind of weird. And Peter stands up to explain. And here's what he says. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. You know, and some of you laugh. It's true. You know, it's sort of like it's five o'clock somewhere. You know, I think that's where this came from, the scripture. 
You know, it's, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. He's saying, you think these people are drunk. They're not drunk. The bars aren't even open yet. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. These people aren't drunk. They're, get this, get this, they're just filled with God's Spirit. You know, I'd like somebody to look at me and think I was drunk because I was so filled with God's Spirit and with joy. The joy of the Lord. And notice what it says. God says, I will pour out my Spirit on everyone. Your sons and daughters will proclaim my message. Your young men will see visions. And your old men have dreams. I like that. Yeah, we have dreams. Yes, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. This is our day. And they will all proclaim my message. That's the reason he's pouring out his spirit upon us. So that we will proclaim his message. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now I want you to notice six words. I think they're going to leave it up on the, on the, the screen for you. Six words. Son or daughter. If I had it in the outline, I have you circle these words. Son or daughter, young or old, man or woman. God says, I'm going to use all these people for my glory, for my power. Sons and daughters, young and old, men and women. Now, I want to ask you, who does that exclude? Hmm? Nobody. Nobody. So here's the point. You can't sit on the sideline. That's not God's calling in your life to sit on the sideline because you are a son or daughter, young or old, or a man or a woman. And God says, I put my spirit in you and I'm going to use you. I've given you certain talents that I want you to use. And when you use them for me, I'm going to bless you. That's God's promise. That's God's promise to his church. When we're all using our talents for his glory and for his purposes, God will continue to bless his church. We all need to be engaged. Nobody needs to sit on the sideline. God wants you to be a servant leader. He wants you to have some area of servant leadership here on a Sunday and in other areas of the church. Nobody. Can you imagine how we would just, just tr transform our community of every single member of Cedar Creek Church took this to heart, God's truth, and got involved and engaged in servant ministry. God will continue to bless us as we do that. Number four, we must be devoted to God's Word. We must be devoted to God's Word. We hear it, we read it, we study it, we memorize it, we meditate on it. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what is the apostles' teaching? It's the Bible. The apostles wrote the New Testament. The church that God blesses is built on the Bible. The family God blesses is built on the Bible. The life that God blesses is built on God's Word. Not on pop psychology, not on some self-help psychology. I hope that you understand that only, only God's truth has the power to set you free. Nothing else. Now we chase after this and that, but it's only His Word that has the power to transform your life and to set you free. And we don't just study the Bible in this church. We do it. That's what I love about Cedar Creek Church. A lot of churches study the Bible. We don't just study the Bible. We do it. We put it into practice. Just like last week, going out into the community, going to uh, the mission station at, in New Ellington, and we do this repeatedly. 
week after week after week. We go out and do things in the community. We are doers of the word. That's the church that God blesses. Number five, because I've got to move along. If we want God's blessing, we must love each other deeply. This is so critical. This is the very DNA of the church. We must love each other deeply. Growing churches love and loving churches grow. What do you call it when Christians love each other? Fellowship. That's the Bible word. The word fellowship, that's one of the five biblical purposes. The Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia, which means that we need to be as committed to one another, to each other, as we are to Jesus Christ. You see, in the first church, they took care of each other. I mean, they did it with excellence. They genuinely loved each other. They treated each other like family. And if you want God's blessing on your life and on the life of Cedar Creek Church, you've got to love other Christians. Don't just give it lip service, but you have to love other Christians. If you don't, then you're not going to have God's blessing on your life. We must love each other deeply. We're commanded to love. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says this, they took part in the fellowship and the sharing in fellowship meals and in praying together. The contemporary English version says they were more like family to each other. I like that. We're family. We are to love each other deeply. Verse 44, all the believers continued together in close fellowship. The message paraphrase says they lived in wonderful harmony. Now, how did they do this? How how did they show love to one another? Not in a large group like this. They did it in small groups. In small groups. Verse 46, they met in small groups in homes for communion and shared their meals with great joy and thankfulness. That's why our home groups, our small groups from day one to this day at Cedar Creek Church are the heart of everything we do because that's the model that God has given us in his word of how to do life together. So I want to encourage you, be sure that you're involved in a small group where you'll have a family, where you can genuinely express your love to one another. It's the heart of everything we do. We don't put anything in competition with our small groups. And that's not to say that other things aren't important, that other things aren't good, this program or that program, but we don't put anything in competition because we know that this is God's model for doing life together. And then number six, I can't, I couldn't, I just, oh God, I can't, I couldn't wait to get to this one. It's the last one. If we want God's blessing, on our church, our families, in our lives, we must worship with joy. we got to worship with, with joy. You know, God wants worship to be a festival, not a funeral. He wants us to celebrate, not commiserate. <laughs> you know, the reason that some churches die is because, honestly, they're cold. They're cold. They don't know how to celebrate. They don't know how to have any fun. They don't worship with joy. They, they, they worship out of duty. And you've been in these cold churches, and I'm not trying to judge, but I've been there too. The ushers skate up and down the aisles to take the offering. It's the first church of frigid air. I mean, you've got to look down front to make sure there's not a coffin down front, to make sure nobody's died. Oh, somebody's died. The people have died. You hear about the lady from our church who visited another church, and let's just say it was a little bit more formal, a little bit more staid, not as loosey-goosey as Cedar Creek Church. And uh, 
you know, everybody just had their, their heads in a, in a hymnal. Nobody looked up. Nobody really expressed much joy whatsoever. But finally, she found something in the service that she could get excited about. It was something the, the pastor said in his message. And she heard it, and she said, Oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen. And an usher came over to her and said, Ma'am, you're going to have to be quiet. And she said, But I'm just so full of the joy of the Lord. And he said, Well, ma'am, you didn't get it here. I want to ask you this morning, what kind of worship attracts people? I want to say that two kinds. As I read the scripture, two kinds of worship attracts people. Number one, authentic biblical worship. Authentic biblical worship. Worship is simply loving God. You know, anytime I say to God, I love you, that's worship. And I praise him, that's worship. You can do that here on a Sunday morning. You can do it in your car, driving to work. The other day, I was stopped at a stop, sign, uh, a stop light, and, and this lady pulled up beside me, and, and the music was glaring. And I thought, oh, God, I hope that's not that, that dreadful rap music. And, and, and with all those profanities, I didn't want to start the day that way. She had praise music on. She had her hand up in the air praising God. And I looked over and she caught my eye and she smiled at me and I smiled back and I shot my hand up in praise. That's expressing your love to God. Anytime you say to God, I love you, and you praise Him, you are worshiping Him. Remember, and it's not about us. We've got that. I mean, that's so elementary. That, that, that's kindergarten. We know that it's all about God. Remember, remember the song we used to sing here at Cedar Creek Church, what, some 10, 15 years ago? I mean, most of you will remember it because we sang it 130,000 times. But I loved it. The heart of worship. I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. You know, some of us need to pray that prayer of repentance. I know I do. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. The other type of worship that attracts people is, is happy worship. I'll just be honest with you. I'll tell you my bias. I think it ought to be fun to go to church. I think it ought to be a lot of things, but one of the things that ought to be, it ought to be fun to go to church. I really, really believe that. I mean, folks, Jesus is alive. My sins are forgiven and I'm going to heaven. Wow, that's exciting. That's something to get excited about. Wow. You know, there's so much bad news in the world today. Isn't that true? Sometimes you don't even want to turn on the radio or the TV. So much bad. Last thing you need is come to church and get more bad news. You don't, you don't need that. You know, you're going to leave here today. You're going to go out in the world starting this afternoon and tomorrow, and you're going to get the joy kicked out of you. Just count on it. Count on it. There's joy suckers all over the place out there. You got them at work. You got them in your neighborhood. Some of you got them in your family. Now, don't look to your right or to your left. But you're going to get the joy kicked out of you. And some of you come to church on Sunday morning, and you are emotionally drained. I can see it in your faces. I can see it. And we've got these spiritual jumper cables to recharge you. But worship can only recharge you if you participate. 
If you just stand there, if you don't sing the song, if you don't get involved, if you just keep stomping down all your emotions, that is not going to help you. You need to understand that God made you to express your emotions. You're emotional because God made you emotional. And if you don't learn to express your emotions, it's going to be like shaking up a Coke can. One day you're going to pop the tab and you're just going to spew out all over the place. Okay? Now some of you think, well, you know, what would other people think if I expressed some emotion in worship? Really? I mean, really? What do you care about what other people think? Especially when you're worshiping. Worshiping is meant to renew your emotions on a weekly basis, to give you an emotional lift, but it's not going to do that unless you participate. So you need to get over your inhibition and express your emotions in worship so that you can get recharged. You know, I see some of you. True confession time. I sit right over there with Lori most Sundays. Every once in a while, look around. I see some of you. You get moved by a particular song. I see it. And you want to raise your hand in praise, but, but you're afraid of what somebody else might think, and you stand there and you, you do this. <laughs> you know? I mean, what's this thing about raising hands in, 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 anyway? I mean, we're, Richard, we've taught this since day one at Cedar Creek Church. Where'd you ever get a crazy idea like that? <laughs> right out of this book. God talks over and over again about about. Raising your hands in the, prayer, in the sanctuary and praising God. I mean, what does the raising of hands symbolize in our culture? One of the things it symbolizes is if somebody comes up behind you and says, stick them up, what do you do? <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, I surrender. You got me. I'm in your control. It's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. Lord, I am surrendered to you. I want to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. Another thing that lifted up hands symbolizes, oh, I, it just, just, this week just thinking about this just blessed my heart. When my children were young, and I'd come home at the end of a long day, I'd pull in the driveway, and before I even got out of the car, my children, my two children, my son and my daughter, would come running toward me with their hands uplifted. I knew exactly what that meant. Oh, Daddy, oh, Daddy, lift me, hold me, embrace me, love me, comfort me. It's the same exact thing with our Heavenly Father. Oh, God, I'm so dependent upon you. I'm yielded to you. I'm surrendered to you. Oh, God, lift me. Lift me. Hold me in your loving embrace. Strengthen me. Strengthen me. You know, how come I can get excited about anything except church? I mean, I, I don't understand that. You know, I can go to a football game and somebody scores a touchdown. Everybody's hooting and hollering. You know, think about if you went to Death Valley or William Bryce or whatever your favorite team is, and somebody scored a touchdown, everybody just stood there. <laughs> Didn't say a thing, not a word. Not a word. You know? How come? It's different in church. You know, I can go to a football game, and, and I can go, rah, rah, go team, go! And I'm called what? I'm called a fan. But if I come to church and I go, rah, rah, go, God, go... <laughs> I'm a fanatic. I don't understand that. I don't understand. You know, why can I get excited about anything except God? I mean, I want to tell you, that's just nonsense. That's just nonsense. You need to learn to get excited about God. Worship is meant to be a celebration. It is meant to be fun. And i got to finish this up. I'm sorry, Philip. 
You know, I may never get to preach again, so. <laughs> All right. There's two reasons, I'm skipping over a little bit, why you need to worship God joyfully. Two reasons that I see in Scripture. The first is, it's good for your own emotional health. You need it. You need that emotional release with God. Not, not just every week, you need it every day. And second, it's a good witness to other people. Friends, there are two reasons why people who don't know Jesus reject Him. Two reasons why lost people don't come to Jesus Christ. One, they've never met a Christian. And two, they have. You chew on that one a little bit, you know? And they think if it means as being... It means being as cranky as that guy, you know, forget it. You know, some people are poor witnesses for Jesus because it's like they're spiritually constipated. You know, they're just all bound up inside and they're cranky and they're legalistic and they're judgmental. And if that's what it means to follow Jesus, no thanks, Jesus. We got to get excited. That's our witness. That's the witness that we have before everybody. Now... We need to get the J factor, the joy factor, cranked back up in our lives. I'm so thankful for, for Paul and our worship team, all of our singers, all of our musicians. They know how to get the... I mean, they, they, they don't just come out here on Sunday. They, they're prepared. And with all of their heart, they want to facilitate you getting before the throne of God. And, and they know how to crank up the joy. So I want you to do two things. Hear me. Two things. One, I want you to think of a friend, a relative, a neighbor, a co-worker, whoever, that you can invite to Cedar Creek Church. You want to put a smile on your pastor's face? You just you find somebody you can invite this next week, and you bring them with you and watch what God will do. And then number two, we're going to have another time of worship. I went way over. I cut out about half my notes, Philip. So where's Paul? We're going to do both songs. We're going to worship. Before we leave here this morning, we are going to worship again. We're going to celebrate. And we're going to worship with joy, with just, just wonderful joy before the Lord. But before we do that, I want to pray. So just bow with me in prayer. Father God, oh, how I love you. How, we love you because you first loved us. Worship is always our response to you. And I love you. Oh, I really do. And Lord, I thank you for the Cedar Creek Church family. Thank you for the opportunity and absolute privilege that Lori and I have had to be a part of this wonderful fellowship. It's always been a real joy and blessing for us. And Father, help us to pray for power for our own individual lives and to just become one in purpose and prayer and pray for power that God would strengthen us to accomplish what he has us to do here through Cedar Creek Church. And Lord, help us to use every language that you've given us, to use our talents that you've given us. Help us to be devoted to your word. Help us to love each other deeply and help us right now, right now, to worship you with joy.